This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we are talking tar. What do they call the conductor stick? Is it called a conductor stick or a stick? What is it called? I think it's a called a magic wand. A magic wand. That sounds fun. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello, how are you? That was my Guillermo del Toro impression. It's a choice accent. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's been Halloween, or it's been, it's been the holiday season with uh, the spooky October, and he, and he does an intro for us. It is nice that we have that. That is yeah. one to use every week. Like Comic-Con, like, 14 years ago. It's not that old. This podcast isn't that old. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> 14 years. <laughs> 14 years. Uh, what are we doing? This is a, learn film, how to drive suit. This is a film podcast. Aim and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig we dig into movies. Most of us are for your review. The occasional commentary track or some other film baby topic. This is episode 513. 513. Shout out to Cincinnati. Is that Cincinnati actually area code? Is that actually it? Certainly is. That's what I was looking up. Nice way to way to do the research. <laughs> yeah. And this week we're talking Tar, uh, the newest film from director Todd Field, starring Kate Blanchett, and uh, it's just him and I this week. We we are well, going you know, it alone we're, we're to talk Tar. Going alone. This is this is the the old show. <laughs> we. This is our default, <laughs> and and a good default that it is. Of course. Just pointed it out. Some people oh, might be okay. like, where, where are the guests? And they're like, well, sometimes we just don't need guests. Yeah, gotta, exactly. Sometimes you just want to talk tar on your own. Sometimes uh, when there's only two people, the conversation can go even further. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens as we talk tar. <laughs> I'll just be like, what'd you think of the movie? Like, all right, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> the fun thing is they'll already know based on the runtime of this podcast episode. So we should really pad it out. <laughs> to and be like, exactly the same runtime as well, the movie. Well, we'll add like some symphony, symphonies at the end that are uh-huh. long, so it'll, it'll still be like a two-hour episode. They're like, "Why is this so long? It's just those two guys." And then they'll be like, "Oh yeah, there's not much conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a thirty-minute episode. Yeah, it's just an away. hour and a half of music after yeah. this." Uh, but we are talking tar. That's the plan this week. But first, let's go over some show notes here. Uh, first up, it's the end of October. We're a day away Ooh. from Halloween, the year's scariest day. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know that it traditionally fell on Mondays. <laughs> I didn't say Monday, I just said oh, we're a day away. Just spooky Mondays, got it. I just said it's the year's scariest day. That's all. <laughs> Is it? Is there a scarier day than all? I mean, there's gotta be like tax Monday or something like that, right? Tax tax the scariest day is tax. Although Monday. <laughs> although it's usually a Tuesday because they're like, well, everyone's getting underneath emails from Monday. So <laughs> and there's also Arbor Day. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, Arbor Day. You know, go plant a tree. Uh, regardless, October, we've been doing these special bonus horror episodes all month long, as we normally do. Each week, we've had a fun bonus episode themed around horror. We talked mm-hmm. about monster squads. We, we put together our hero, our, our horrors, our hero horror squad. Uh, we talked about The Shining. Then uh, we talked about uh, movie, horror movie posters. And uh, to conclude the month of horror bonuses, it's going to be our commentary track. We're talking Nosferatu. In honor of its 100th anniversary, uh, so that's going to be, I think, a lot of fun. Um, Are we going to be doing old guy voice on that episode? Y- you can. I'll be wearing the hands. Oh, the giant, <laughs> long, with long yes. fingernail hands. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, we plan to do a Nosferatu commentary track to conclude our our uh, our horror month here, and that's going to release on Halloween. Um, by the time you hear this, it'll be after Halloween. But just know we timed it to be released on Halloween. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so what else? Uh, speaking speaking of said commentary track, we have a number of things coming in the near future. Just want to point them out real quick. Obviously, you're listening to our Tar episode now. We have a bonus Wendell and Wild episode coming along as well. That should be released later this week. We have our Nosferatu commentary track, which is already out. And then from there, because it's award season, there's going to be a lot of other you know, movies to cover. We know the Banshee's Van Sharon is going to be on the docket ideally next. And the Fablemans will be later in the month. And obviously there's you know, the other regular episodes like Black Panther will be coming up. But just know, because there's generally a lot of films this time of year, Abe and I will see what we can do as far as recording some bonuses or what have you to kind of mm-hmm. cover what we can. Yeah, instead of uh, your usual uh, two hours times four, eight hours a month, you might get uh, quadruple that. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, quadruple. That. Yeah, that's <laughs> a lot of that's a lot of podcast so time. Yeah. <laughs> Half um, my month of a- Aaron and A podcasts. Uh, there's like seven people that are excited by that. Okay. Uh, yeah. More of this on my drives. Thanks, um, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can put that audio book away. <laughs> Think into this. Yeah, exactly. Who doesn't like uh, talking about uh, film? Uh, what else? iTunes reviews and ratings, of course. Helps out our show. Helps other people find the show. If you want to log on to iTunes, search right now there and maybe you can give us a rating or review, which would be wonderful. Thank you so much in advance. Yeah. All right. Let's get to some out now quickies. Great, Mark. Each week now, when we go to talk about doing that's what I was going to do on the quickies. Yeah, that was pretty clean this week. I'll, I'll I was happy admit. with that. I yeah. was happy with that. My, um, my my throat's a little sore. Oh, I thought you were going to say your gremlin got loose or something. But it did. It ju- and jumped into my mouth and scratched my throat. So that's it's a not sore. how Gizmo does things. Gizmo Gizmo's nice. not a gremlin. He is a mogwai. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> it right. It's not. Yeah. It's before the metamorphosis has uh, tra- you, has happened. Yeah, you clearly broke one of the three rules. It's that hidden fourth rule that gets you. Never brush their teeth after <laughs> 1 a.m. This what is this, Robocop? <laughs> never never brush their teeth after 1 a.m. That's the other secret. You're not supposed to give them water after midnight. Exactly. It, and, it's all, and it's also food. It's a combination of things. So it's mm. like, oh, that's even worse. It makes super gross. That's right. Yeah. You gave them something at one that involved liquids. So mm-hmm. it's all bad. Yeah. Well, now at least you get a puppet show in the theater. <laughs> Hey, what have you seen recently? I've seen a lot of things. Uh, first things first is uh, you wanted me to chat about La La Crocodile. <laughs> yes, I did. La La Crocodile is a film that Aaron and I talked about uh, from the trailer for maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Um, sure. And I think we said the same thing, which is, uh, you know, this trailer looks all right. But you know what looks like a good time is Javier Bardem because he looks like he's having a good time in the movie. I would echo the same sentiment uh, after watching the movie. Um, the movie is is very much a child's children's movie, and and I mean that like in in all shapes and, and manner. Meaning like there's not a whole lot of plot. There's a lot of like sight gags, and there's just a whole lot of uh, music uh, that you can enjoy, and um, not really anything really beyond that. You know, you have. Uh, an opening that is featuring Sean Mendez and uh, Harvey Bardem kind of just doing the thing. Harvey Bardem is, is this guy who lives in New York and he has this, uh, this, um, this brownstone that he's had for uh, many generations in his family. And he's like this magician that is sort of washed and looking for a new act all the time. Right. Um, and you might think of him as perhaps the, the twisting, the mustache twitching kind of guy. It's like, Oh, I'm going to, 
take this crocodile and, and make millions off of it. But, you know, in actuality, he's a, he's a good guy. He he does want to have Wyle make um, headlines and do whatever else. But he uh, how he, by by basically having like a show with Lyle. It's a dancing, singing crocodile. Um, and to see uh, advertised as such. Yeah. Yeah. He basically like puts his house down. He's like, hey. I have this new act. I I had I know I haven't paid rent in like three months, but if you put us on your showcase, we're gonna bring bring in the dollars for you. And it turns out that Lyle has stage fright, where Lyle just oh, doesn't <laughs> want to sing, and he cannot sing on cue. Um, and so Javier Adam teaches him all these like dance steps, and it's actually really great. He he be- bejewels a costume, uh, a tuxedo costume for him, naturally. which you might have seen in the trailer. <laughs> yeah, naturally, it's got a lot of sequins and stuff like that. And um, you know, he gets to the part where he he points over to Lyle just to like sing like a few notes, and and there he goes, just stage fright, and things go down from there. Now, that's now like, Lyle Lyle does not talk, correct? He he only sings. Yes, that's something that I found out in the movie. Which no, okay, okay, so so yeah. when he has stage fright, what does that mean? He's just like a crocodile on stage, not doing anything. Correct, and nobody nobody is uh nobody's like freaking out that there's a crocodile like on stage. They're just like they just get up and leave. Literally, they just get up and leave. Which is well, they're sad. in they're in New York. I mean, they, you, you see one <laughs> crocodile, you see them all. So I just guess like, whatever. Like, right. I've, I've seen a crocodile before. I've been to a right. sewer, sir. And like, why have you been, been to a sewer? Why are you the sewer? Hey, I'm the audience. Don't ask me questions about my life. I'm here to talk to you, buddy. This is how modern day uh, criticism goes with with audiences. Just like, modern day, it's not, not new for New York. <laughs> <laughs> no, so that is actually the first maybe like twenty some odd minutes of the movie, and then a new family comes in. Like time passes, Harvey Birdem kind of has to go do some stuff to make ends meet, and he's what like, is, "Hey, now what does what? that mean? Is he like a cab driver? Is he working? No, like a, he, he, a he bus literally boy? he literally <laughs> just like exit stage left, um, and so." Uh, you just don't see him for a little bit. And a new family moves into the place because this brownstone has essentially been purchased by the school district in New York for teacher housing. And so if you're a new teacher here, we've got some housing for you to get your feet under you so that you can go find something else later. And it's a family that is comprised of Scoot McNary, Constance Wu, and some kid who I forget his name. I apologize, kid. Uh, and so they're here and... I got to be honest with you. This part drags. <laughs> They're just here. The You're kid... saying the part of crocodile that does not involve the crocodile lags. It actually does involve the crocodile. And so <laughs> the crocodile comes back into play. The the kid, he finds out about the crocodile because it's Winslow in the Winslow Fegley is the. Will Fegley. Yeah. Punchable Winslow. face. Winslow. Winslow. Fegley. Yeah. Punchable face. His name um... is Winslow. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not making soul. fun it's just when do you hear about a winslow that's not a that's not a name you hear that's a now. that's a last name you know what i mean you know what he's the brother to oaks fegley uh who, who started who he was he was the kid in pete's dragon oh wow okay all right well less punchable face i guess i i can't remember it's a, I, I we got some names though <laughs> winslow oaks oaks yeah what's next autumn that's too regular there's another one august oh that's pretty close it was pretty uh, close. So, in any case, you have this situation where the this new family moves in, and then they have to adjust to life with this crocodile. They're obviously very scared of the crocodile at first, and he creates this giant fucking mess for them because he's a crocodile, and he's got to like throw things around with his massive body weight. Um, and it actually just becomes really. Kids will enjoy it, but adults will just be like, "This is weird, right?" 
it, it's like weird in the sense of um, the kid has anxiety and he's new to this school. So um, how does he get over some of his anxiety? Well, let me go file, follow Lyle out at midnight to go dumpster diving where Lyle eats and then realize that, you know, throwing away Chinese food is delicious. And then my mom, Constance, Sewell, will try and follow us one night too. And you know what? She'll, she's going to love dumpster diving as well. You know who doesn't love dumpster diving? My dad. <laughs> and then a breath of fresh air comes back because Javier Bardem is introduced back in the movie. Like, I'm not going to go beat for beat, but essentially what happens here is the movie picks up a lot of steam because a lot of things start happening with um, uh, their downstairs neighbor, who's played by Brett Goldstein. Uh, Brett Gelman. Brett Gelman. Yeah, Brett Goldstein is... Uh, is uh, From San Lasso. Yeah, uh, exactly, yeah. But um, Brett Gelman is like their downstairs neighbor. And so all in all, it is not the best movie. I could see it being fun for kids, but it's also... I, w- I was kind of disappointed, not from, not from being an adult watching this and being like, oh bah humbug to those kids more just from the standpoint of i think that you and i have seen really clever adaptations of really short kids books yes that are much better than this and the first one that came to mind was uh cloud of the jets and meatballs sure that's also like a 16 page like kids book and then it turns into this huge world with jokes for adults but also like a really heartfelt story about parents and and their children and being able to come together and cope after the loss of 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 a loss in their lives um and it, it's it's really uh, a great movie this one not so much like the the animation is there i guess you know it's cool that it, it looks like it's actually shot in new york but i'm sure it's like a sound stage um but yeah it, it just is not the best thing that i've seen so i i wouldn't tell you to go and actually watch it to be honest like i think it actually would be a waste of your time um which is sad because uh harvey Murdem is in it and he's doing great work but Everything else that surrounds it is is just very very mediocre. Uh, so that was Lala Crocodile. Thank you for that in depth look. It didn't lie. I know. Crocodile. Yeah, I didn't mean to go that deeply, but good questions. Well, you, I I can tell that despite your your reservations about the film, you still feel passionate about the fact that it exists. So that, that was very important. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also been watching a lot of horror movies lately because of Spooktober. Um, so I caught up on the first Final Destination. Um which you guys had a great commentary for. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw, you guys talked to the, the creator of this one as well. We talked, we talked, we had a, uh, a series overview with the uh, creator writer of the original final destination. He would go on, he'd yeah. go on to be involved with the second and then he wasn't involved with the last three, but got yes, it. He, okay. he yeah. I've heard that like two is maybe forgettable. Three is okay. Um, two is a highlight for most, most people like two the okay. most. I've got to go and check that out. I like I like five the best. Um, five. I'm five one two four three. <laughs> okay. Um, Most people hate four. Four is what people hate. Is that the three D one? Three and four are both three D. I believe. Got it. No, okay. the last three are three D. What am I talking about? Final this. Yeah. Wow. I, I saw the fifth one in three D. Five D. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so in any case, Final Destination, I dug it. I, I hadn't seen Had it. You, you haven't seen it before? No, I hadn't seen it before. Oh. And I was thinking to myself, well, it's going to be like some goofy 90s like horror movie for teens where they say stupid stuff and then, you know, they get into like situations where it's all bad for them. And it actually isn't really that. Like, no. yes, to some degree, it's, it's it, it kind of is. But no, it actually is like a really cool movie about what Devin Sawa keeps saying is like this this death plan. Right. And 
it's it's pretty clever the way that he sort of figures things out in the movie and also the way that he um acts like a teenager i actually really dug that he's just like pimple skin devin sawa and i don't mean that as like any sort of besmirchment or 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 slight like i'm glad that he looks like a teenager he feels his age yeah um and the first kill minus like the airplane sequence is is actually very clever like it these are like really cleverly well-designed things and i i felt bad for for that kid in the bathroom yeah Uh, the the first one is the most serious of the five um, and the rest really play into the kill aspect of it, which is not a bad thing. I mean, you're yeah, getting a, bad thing. a certain thing out of it. But yeah, you feel I feel like you feel the worst for the people in the first film because of just how they're they right. They feel realistic to a point where they get more cartoony as it goes a lot or more like the Rube Goldberg aspect of it is really played into in the in the next the the, the preceding films. But two I think they, and three and four, five, six or five. But yeah, they 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 play into that more as far as right. the elaborate nature of what leads up to certain deaths. But they are also like the highlight of what you're coming to see. Sure. So, yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, the first one takes it relatively seriously. Yeah, so yeah, it really does. It. And so I, I dug a lot of that, too. Like even the even the the train part where the guy's like, well, if I'm going to go, then I'm going to go. It's like, but Devin Sawas kind of steps in and then he realizes more things about what happens. Um and it's kind of campy and goofy. And, you know, Sean William Scott is not actually bad in this movie. Um, but it, with all that being said, I, I did like that it... Is he ever bad, though? I mean, I, I don't really I, like Sean William That's a good point. I, I don't mean, the, think the he's movies, really the, bad. The movies I, around him... So I was like, I think that the, great, the, I, the script I, he's calls the for him to be like a uh, like a bro-type thing in some of his movies, right? Oh, they for sure. I, yeah, I was just uh, yeah. trying to go into a tangent. I'm just like, I generally like him. I feel bad that he gets into some, like, lesser sure. material because i think he's generally pretty good as an he's actor pretty good enough yeah. yeah um so it's a movie that is is better than i was thinking it was gonna be and it it actually was pretty effective just from the standpoint of really cool premise i'm i can see why this caught on and why it kept going mm-hmm. um and to your point i i also was thinking that it was gonna get goof not goofier but the rube goldberg rube goldberg aspect of it definitely came into play probably later but this one was pretty straight laced and it's a fairly quick movie too like it gets going right away and it doesn't really end until it ends i guess like i think the campiest part of it might have been a house sequence with with this with things go pretty over the top and some yeah yeah like with one person kind of like crawling towards some stuff uh but you know it's all set up so it's it's not unexpected if you know what i mean like it's 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 all there for you it's laid out and so it's not as though you're thinking well when did that like how could that have happened you know it's like this is actually pretty clever the way that they designed some of these things um in any case that was uh uh destination part one or i'll be i'll be curious to see if you go further into you know to see the i mean they're all pretty they're all like 90 ish minutes they're not uh, long they're pretty quick paced movies so i'm yeah. be curious if you finish off this series and see what oh you i'll also say that i actually really dug that the parents and the rest of the town still ostracizes this kid after the fact like it's not like one of those movies horror movies where they're just like uh yeah everything's back to normal like the parents don't really matter in this movie it's like no the parents actually play a part in this in this story which is pretty clever pretty cool Mm -hmm. um i also finished off watching the first three screen movies because um you know you know how i feel about four i I like it better than you do and then we just watched scream five recently but i rewatched scream one two and three uh one is still very good uh two i enjoyed it more uh, this time around and then three i enjoyed it a little bit more this time around too because it's you could see how 
quote unquote fun it gets as it keeps going um, with either the kills or the way that things are sort of designed. Uh, but I, I would say that, you know, they're pretty tongue in cheek. Like it, it wasn't as scary as I remember it being back when it came out uh, for Scream 3. And I don't know, like uh, it, it's not the best one, but it certainly has um, like a really fun, like haunted house type chase before it gets to the more serious haunted house type chase. Uh, and I, it was it was a, a fun romp, but all the screams are available on Paramount Plus. Check it out if you can. And uh, that's what I've been watching. Yeah, two is my favorite. Uh, it's weird to say easily, but it is kind of easily. Like I really uh, like one. It's not like too far off, but I I really like what two does. Um, just as with, a, with a, a sequel genre, as a sequel and just as a well made slasher film. Like I mm-hmm. think it's a I think it's a better directed movie than one. I think Wes Craven was like just more on the ball with what he wanted to do. And the fact that it was made within a, you know, in like a, basically a nine month period between the first film and, and the a year later when it came Irish out. twin movies. <laughs> yes. Wow. Um, it, it's just remains very impressive to me. How sure. Good it is. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I just missed the goofiness of Matthew Lillard in, in part two. Like oh, you got the big crazy eyes of Timothy Oliphant. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I also think it has more like the, the whole like, Police car sequence is one of the scariest things in a slasher movie. I've second. It is. Um, there's a lot or, of or most tense anyway. But it also features one of the more like um, graphic kills too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that was actually something that I I, uh, I think that we kind of lack since like, the you know the Drew Barrymore thing aside. But there's not a whole lot of graphic stuff in the others in the other kills. So yeah, that one was like you could see him still tremoring a little bit. It's, it's pretty great. I'll, I'll give you this. Like as much as I think Scream Four sucks, Scream Three is worse. So you got that going for you. Like, I'll give you. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. Did you not like Scream Three because of who the killer is? And that doesn't help. I think yeah, all that's yeah. a lot of bullshit. But I mean the, I mean the highlight is easily the is is the Parker Posey character and what Cox. And yes. And what yeah. Cox, Cox and Arquette are doing in that movie. Yeah. Like they're they're having fun. I just think Parker Posey's having a ton of fun in that, and I I love that she takes on Gail Weathers. And so I was like, I'm more Yo Weathers than you are. And I like when they team up. It plays that aspect pretty well as far as being just enjoyable. Yeah. But I, but the, yes, the, 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 the stuff, the elaborate things involved to get to who the killer is and trying to make me care is nonsense. I don't yeah. like that the killer has a voice changer because that just takes away a lot of tension in my eyes. Uh huh. Uh, there's just and there's a lot of just like extraneous characters that just bother me. <laughs> yeah, like uh, the guy from Millennium. Yeah, yeah, Lance Henriksen. Yeah, Lance Henriksen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah there's, it's just not a movie I enjoy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Understandable. Uh, again, feels more fun, campy. Not fun. I say more campy than the others. I mean, you have Jane Silent Bob show up in that movie. <laughs> I do like having? Like, I like seeing Jane Silent Bob, but it's like, what are we doing here? Yeah. understandable and also i i dig that um uh carrie fisher shows up and just like mm-hmm. it's pretty funny but also at the same time you could see the power that scream the franchise scream had built uh and so they were able to go do these things but does it take away from from feelings of the same storyline as one and two it does um and then you know you kind of get back on track with uh, five because four is just more of a sydney prescott comes back to town kind of movie but with brand new characters at least five there i guess dewey's and dewey and and uh cox. cox are in all of them 
but um, it certainly feels like it kind of gets back on on track with five. It goes or, back or to, yeah, it, it's doing some interesting stuff. Like I right. like I, I, I think I that there's commentary in all of them, though. Oh, of course, that's that's the idea. Right. I just think it's better handled in three of them as opposed. I'll sure. say this: I'm happy that there's now three good screen movies as opposed to being fifty fifty. Sure. So. Yeah. <laughs> in my house. Although you know, Scream Four kind of ahead of its time with some of the uh, the uh, online stuff, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's just another ninety minutes around that. that, I, that I'm not a big fan. Of, <laughs> sure. but, uh, anyway, that's what I've been watching. I've been taking too much time. What have you been watching? Uh, well, stay on the horror track for for a second here. I saw Terrifier two. Did you? Okay. Yes. I I've seen and read some of the things. Okay. So I'll I'll say this: when Terrifier two came out, I hadn't even heard of Terrifier, or if I had, it hadn't occurred to me that it was a thing I needed to like be caught up on. Uh-huh. I'd still argue that you don't need to be caught up on Terrifier to understand Terrifier two. Okay. It recaps what goes on pretty well, but I mean that movie's out there if you, on like Tubi or something if you want to find it. Yeah. Uh, but it concerns this character named Art the Clown, um, a new what I would consider horror icon, given the look and the way he's played. He's played by an actor who has mime experience because the clown is silent throughout. He uses only <laughs> expressions or whatnot that would be akin to a mime. Um, in the first film. Art the Clown finds two random women and proceeds to stalk them and do horrible things, uh, violent things. Quite graphic. Quite graphic is the name of the game when it comes to these Terrifier films. Right. Um, the criticism for Terrifier was that it's 80 minutes and there's not much else to it beyond Art's an evil clown and he kills people. Um, that led to, I believe, uh, Damien Leon, the director. Uh, he took that to heart as a challenge. It was like, oh, yeah, no characters to say you. I'm going to make a whole lot of care. I'm going to make a, a very character focused <laughs> movie for a terrifier too, which by the way, are both crowdfunded, partially crowdfunded movies. Uh-huh. Keep that in mind. They're very inexpensive. I think terrifier two is like 250,000. Right. Um, and given that it's made about 7 million so far, great ROI. <laughs> um, right. Uh, so terrifier two, as opposed to the 80 minute first movie is 138 minutes long. Uh, it is a long slasher movie. And Why? As I said, it's because he took the care of the criticism to heart and made a film that has not only terrifying clown stuff, but also very strong character developments. It is a, it is a mostly well-acted and well-written movie that involves a brother and sister who lost their father and has a mother that really you know cares about them and they have friends and everything. And it goes into detail as far as like what their lives are. In addition to having this crazy psychotic clown out there trying to kill people. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, now, I don't need to focus on the character aspect part beyond just saying there's a lot of it. And you can easily see where the film could be trimmed to make it a, you know, a much leaner movie. But it does feel like challenge accepted. And here we are with a movie that's much longer because it wants to devote itself to having strong characters. Uh-huh. Uh, it the helps of the movie. It's not a it's a pretty fast paced movie. So you're not. You feel the length maybe in some places, given right. that it's a slasher movie and you generally don't want to sit there for over two hours watching it. But it's not bad from that. It's just we're like, huh, that's neat that we're spending so much time with this. Yeah. That said, the terrifier clown stuff in this movie is brutal. Uh, I've seen the reports of people vomiting and walking out of theaters or what have you. Yeah. That feels somewhat, I'm not going to say overplay, but it feels more like, if that feels like a generational thing as far as keep certain people of a certain age groups don't generally see these kinds of horror movies but because of just the way 
things get talked about, they're like, oh, let's go see this movie. Uh-huh. And then they're not used to seeing a splatter horror film and are subsequently grossed out by it and don't, don't want to be a part of it anymore. It's like, uh-huh. I, I get where that comes from. All right. I would say anyone that any horror fan that's seen a number of horror movies, you're not going to see too much that's new in this. I think you might, yeah, you might have seen it's some not, worse movies. It's not reinventing the wheel in terms of gore. Yeah. It certainly is pretty gore heavy. Like there's, I believe, like 20 gallons of blood or something he said he used for this thing. Like, yeah, yeah, that's a lot of corn syrup if uh, if my scream knowledge is correct. That's correct. And <laughs> and it's, it's you know, again, it's not an expensive movie, so it's all pretty practical. Like there's very, sure. very little digital affecting effects work going on here. Um, but yeah, like, the nature of art is that he's, and you're like this, Abe, he's a prankster, uh, much like our friend Michael Myers. <laughs> Michael Myers he's, he's a big yeah. prankster. Like he like, you know, he, he's not just killing people. He's having fun with it. He's right. doing things. Yeah, yeah. He's doing stuff with the bodies. That's bad. Um, I, I will say that I have seen a clip of like a bedroom sequence in which salt is involved. And I was like, so that's the, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the, it's, it's pretty like, yes, it is over the top, but also it is to your point, not like, crazy like i i have seen the vhs the one that you were like i gotta stop okay. this yeah and i was like yeah that's a little bit more extreme than this one because this one has i don't want to say like a sense of whimsy to it but it's yeah it there's has more like oh it's not as serious as you, know, you can walk away from this movie being like that was that was okay i'm gonna forget everything about it yeah, yeah it doesn't it i yeah it's weird to say like dark humor too but there is a kind right. of it's so over the top that you, I, I just, for me anyway, I just can't take it that seriously okay. as far as how much goop is going into like the violence here. Because yeah. it's just like the body can't sustain certain things at a point where I'm like, well, yeah, so I just can't like believe it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I don't think the movie's asking you to either. Uh, but Art is a prankster. Even before he gets to the violent stuff, he has a way of stalking people and doing weird clown shit that just <laughs> that is, clown shit. it's the kind of thing where like we didn't get any pranks at halloween ends which was important no no uh, like that movie would have probably jumped up three rankings in my halloween ranking if it if it had more michael myers pranks in it um but this film seems <laughs> to like want to you know satisfy me in that regard having art do things now i Got like it. i like this art the clown horror character not as far as what he does but as far as like his presence is generally suspense terrifying i mean it's called terrifier too and it works so mm-hmm. that is where did you watch this movie so i got theaters? a screener i got okay. a screener for it it got is it. in theaters now it expanded to like 1500 theaters this past weekend wow that's a but lot yeah because it's been a success for what yeah. it is like it's not making truck you know it's not smile which is making a ton of money but it's still <laughs> given the grassroots production and whatnot like it's done a great job of turning in a profit so they put it into more because sure. it's halloween weekend why not put it into more theaters so mm-hmm. it's it's gonna as uh, i believe friend of the show scott mendelson's put it's gonna end up outgrossing most of the awards hopefuls that are out in theaters that's currently. crazy to think yeah. about but yeah he's definitely right so yeah obviously you know it's a splatter horror is not like my preferred version of the genre and that's sure. like beyond slasher that's just more of like it's a slasher along with being just like intensely graphically violent which is like yeah, it's a lot to deal with, but um, uh-huh. but but like it's still like I I like the clown thing. I I like what they do with these characters, and it sets up you know a, a probable terrifier three. And I'm curious what that would be. So so recommend it's a recommend for sure. If you like horror, like yeah. if you like this kind of horror, if you like slasher movies, or if you like cool like 
horror villains to get behind <laughs> in, this, in the realm of, you know, your Michaels and your Jasons and what have you, then, yeah, I, I enjoy that there's a new one coming into fold. Okay. Um, and it's a, I should note this, too. Compared to the first film, because it, it, it has a relatively higher budget than the first film, you can see the upgrading quality. There is a better look to the film. It feels more measured in what it's doing. He was able. He was able to rent a, a real camera. I, it, it, there are better cameras, I would uh, assume, it just because it. it just looks like a better film. And even like just production design wise, there's really cool stuff going on. There's a whole hmm. like haunted house, like like a like an amusement park haunted house, like that kind of thing, like a huge like set piece in yeah. the film. That's I think really creative. And like I think the first film, I don't think I've ever saw more than three people on the screen at one time. This movie has like a budget for extras, so it feels like there's an actual <laughs> like world involved. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, there's just from a like aesthetic point of view, it's it is an upgrade. So got it. Sorry, just to just to clarify again, there's no connective tissue except for the clown. Oh, there's connective tissue in terms oh, there of like, is. there's there's an overarching story. It's so just, the family is in both of them. No, oh, but okay. there's there's other elements that there's one specific element that connects it, but I mean, okay, okay. the first movie, or, I'm sorry, the second movie recaps it well enough where you're not going to walk in and be like, I have no idea what's happening here. It's pretty easy to follow. All right. Okay. So yeah, that's cool. Terrifier 2 uh, in theaters now. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I did see a number. Oh, sorry. Let me get to that. Okay. So I, there is in the horror realm. I saw another movie. It's on Amazon Prime. It's called Run, Sweetheart, Run. Um, have I heard of this? Uh, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> it I've been drinking a, water there. <laughs> it um, it features um, what's your name? Ella Belinska, who was in the the latest Charlie's Angels movie, and Pilo Absek, that really tall guy who's in like Overlord, and um, he was on the <laughs> he was on Game of Thrones. Yes, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I know, I know who you're talking about. He was in um, he's been he's been in a few things. Yeah, um, I I like him. He has this interesting presence. It's like a big guy. He was in that Samaritan movie from a couple months ago. Stallone. He's the villain in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, it stars these two. Um, uh, uh, the Belinsky character. She is a, she's like an assistant. Her bot. She she's working as an assistant to a you know, some kind of businessman boss. Um, she goes on to a a meeting with a client played by this guy, Bilobsuk, and something goes wrong that we don't really see, but we know that she's been attacked. And the rest of the movie is about her trying to outrun this guy. Oh, w- what is this guy? We're not sure initially. Is it something? Is he just a terrible person? Is it something supernatural? We're not entirely sure. However, the movie works as this kind of believe women message film, which is not inherently a bad thing at all. Like I, I see what it's doing. It's very bluntly doing it. Um, but the the lengths it goes to keep up this momentum as far as this woman trying to outrun this guy and all the people she interacts with that have trouble comprehending what the problem is. Like I I like that at the same time I it's like really it's frustrating in the way it's supposed to be, um, but the the thrill of seeing this guy keep encountering her in different ways, uh, I think works really well and it does some interesting things as far as breaking the fourth wall. Uh, what? Yeah, <laughs> there there's there's some choice. Well, I can't solve I, this murder. Can that, you? Well, like I wish you would have embraced it more because it doesn't it okay i think three times maybe another but like it's like i get what this is supposed to be i wish this was more ingrained into what the film is hmm. uh with that said 
I did. I was compelled by it throughout. Like it's, I wouldn't say like a strong recommend, but it's on Prime Video. It's a good watch. Like I, I was certainly curious where this is all going. Um, hmm. So it, it's it's solid. Runs through right. run. Um, the other horror film I watched this is on Paramount Plus. Uh, uh, Significant Other. Um, this stars Michael Monroe and Jake Lacey. Uh, they are a couple that are hiking in the woods. Uh, the woods are shot in a way that is very menacing. So you know something Uh-oh. bad's going to happen. I can't reveal what happens because it gives the game away. And mm-hmm. I would even recommend skipping like the first three minutes of this movie just because it already kind of gives you too much of a hint of what's going to happen. Oh. <laughs> um, um, uh, it's the kind of like, you know, here's a preview of things to come. I'm like, I don't know if I needed that. I kind of liked, not, I would have, I think I like not knowing certain things. But mm-hmm. um, I will say as like a two-hander between these two actors and the way it incorporates tension and horror uh, and some violence, I found it to be very good. Um, okay. It's a it's a good watch. It's suspenseful. It has a sense of humor to it that subverts things in a way. Given what's once the game is revealed, as far as what's going on, um, not game literally, but in terms of like what the movie is doing, sure. um, I like what it does with that. Uh, and it's like a tight ninety-ish minutes or something. So it's 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 solid. Significant other that's on Paramount. Tight ninety is yeah. always a, a good thing to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a couple awards things that I saw, some that we'll probably talk about at length further. Like I've seen Manches Minishir and I've seen Armageddon Time. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I want to talk about this week is Till. Um, this is the Emmett Till movie. Uh, the, other, the other main release of the week. The other main, it was the other main, it went wide this week, right? right? Yeah. Um, this focuses on Emmett Till's mother, Mamie. Um, for those not aware of the story of Emmett Till, this is a 14 year old boy who was lynched in Mississippi in 1955. Uh, for uh, supposedly unjust, whistling, it's unjust regardless. But, the, but but yes, there was supposed like a kid from the big city doing something he shouldn't have done in the eyes of white people in the South is yeah. what it amounts to. Um, and the the so the film focuses on on Mamie on his mother. Um, we meet the boy, we have some time with him, what have you. We I should note just because I feel like it's necessary. You're not specifically shown the lynching. You hear it from afar, but it's not a movie that's going to, you know, punish you by showing you this horrible thing. Um, and instead, it focuses on his mother and what she had to do in order to not just like find justice for her son, but bring attention to the fact that this horrible kind of thing is not unique to just him. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say the movie it follows. It follows the kind of biography formula a little too closely overall in terms of like the arc of the film. That's not too much of a problem because I do think the film is very good overall. And that's mainly because of the mother played by Daniel Deadweiler. Mm -hmm. Um, She'd come out of seemingly nowhere. She was in The Harder They Fall last year um, as Cuffy, uh, who was working with uh, Jonathan Majors on his team. Mm-hmm. Um, and now she has this performance here, which is pretty fantastic. And the movie very much wants to frame it around her. And I mean, not just in terms of like the story, but in terms of like how it looks like this movie for dealing with such a rough topic, it has an incredible sense of lighting and use of warm colors to kind of bring out what the what the what the love she had for her son was and to speak to like where the hope should be in such a you know a dark event in history and like the things being dealt with the movie has a a way of putting you like with tight close-ups and really giving you this kind of portrayal of someone that has to deal with a whole lot and yet still wants to carry on and 
find some kind of message to, to bring out that will inspire others. Mm -hmm. And I think that sense of filmmaking is very important to a film like this, because otherwise it would just feel like, you know, a recreation of a horrible thing and feel like homework, essentially, mm. instead of a movie that's worthwhile for certain reasons. Uh, we're, we're about to talk about another movie that has a very great performance in it, but this is one where I can see why the awards conversation also has her in mind as well, Daniel Deadwire. I think she Got is it. very good in this movie. I do think the the way it the way it focuses on her, both literally and thematically, I think is really important to the film. Um, and it's you know it's not the you know it's not going to be a feel good movie, but and you might even knowing the details of what happened with not only Emmett Till but like the various trials involving him and the people involved or whatnot yeah. it's you know you're not gonna necessarily walk out with a sense of fulfillment as far as oh great the justice was served but i do think there is a worthwhile film here as far as how it's made and the performances involved got it okay so yeah that's till all right that's our that's our uh out now quickies trademark let's move on to uh some trailer talk where we talk about one of the movies movie trailers of the week when they're coming out uh and what have you uh this week we're going to talk emancipation this is the upcoming uh historical action drama uh mm -hmm. directed by anton fuqua antoine fuqua heard and starring will smith oh also heard um, of him. yeah um this movie has faced a number of issues um not related to the quality of said film but in terms of its production uh, one of which uh, was the fact that uh, it was being made at Atlanta during a, a a tough time involving voting regulations, what have you. And Smith and Fuqua made an active statement uh, saying, we're not going to keep filming here, given what the government's doing. And so they moved. Um, they moved to New Orleans, which makes sense, actually, because the film's set in New Orleans. Well, it's like it probably looks better. Yeah. And that and it, it cost the movie $15 million to make those adjustments to to um, what to uh, to relocate and do what they need. That's to do. that's where the money went. That's wow. where the, that's where some of the money went. That's um, <clears throat> uh oh, editing I'm point. I'm good. <laughs> so did Terrifier 2 come into your room? <laughs> <laughs> in addition, in addition to moving the filming location, they had to deal with. Uh, a number of COVID related issues during the filmmaking. Um, and of course the release of the film came up into question um, after the Oscars, because well, what happened this... to the Oscars <laughs> <laughs> green book, one best picture. Oh, um, that was still two <laughs> years ago. <laughs> uh, so no, obviously, you know, the events involving Will Smith slapping Chris rock mm -hmm. uh, made things questionable as far as Will Smith's, not only his, el his eligibility is not in question. It's more, he just can't attend, but as far as, do people want to see this? Is this going to be something that could that will work, even though you know he his his own stardom is coming to question? Sure. Um, so it was wondering if this movie is going to move from this year to next year. But here we are with a trailer and the film being announced that it's going to come out in December, uh, both in theaters and on streaming on Apple. Okay, so it's set during Civil War era. Right, slavery has ended. Or at least announced to end. Yeah, it's Will been announced. Like it seems like the Emancipation yeah. Proclamation has been signed. And Will Smith plays a um a a a, a enslaved man who has dealt with a lot being enslaved man, but he's been like whipped nearly to death, and he escapes from his Louisiana plantation. Uh, and I I'm assuming the film just basically follows his journeys to stay away from being recaptured, and ideally probably fighting back against the you know the South, the enslavers to begin with. Mm -hmm. 
with all with all of this in mind, okay, I'm curious, Abe, what do you think of this trailer? And do you think we're set to get like, are we ready to have like a, a big Will Smith prestige slavery drama? Got it. Yeah. Two big questions. Mm-hmm. Um, first question about the trailer. Uh, I, you know, you know, I love trailers. You, you do as well. Um, I didn't know that this one actually had dropped until you texted me. Oh, like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't a couple realize that yeah. there was uh, a trailer for Will Smith's new movie because just like what you mentioned, we had heard after the Academy Awards that Apple TV or Apple execs were like nervous about whether to hold this or, or keep it going. Um, and I guess the decision was to keep it going. And so when I watched this trailer from the trailer perspective, it's it's fine. Like dark colors, you know, the the atmosphere that you are expecting um, in terms of like a southern plantation. I think that at one point I was also like, is that Ben Foster? And it is Ben Foster. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and so I, I can't wait to see him, um, you know, chew up the scenery in good ways. Um, but as far as like the trailer goes, like I, I honestly got like horror vibes from it. And and I mean this like in a in sincere way, just it, it feels like it was tapping into a horror movie. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I know that this is a, a what is perhaps deemed as a prestige drama piece, but I wondered if it had been played up as this horror movie about the South too, that would have been fascinating to me, but the trailer is, is totally adequate. Um, it, it goes through what I think it's going to go through and I can kind of see what, what might happen here. As far as the second question of, am I ready for Will Smith's, um, uh, I don't know about resurgence, but essentially like his return. return. To, yeah. Yeah, his return to um, the the foreground. I don't know. I, I I honestly do not know. Part of me is just like he was never going to be quote unquote. His career was not over anyway. But at the same time, I'm also just thinking to myself, it it's not going to be great because I know Will Smith on press tours, and he's very bright. He brings a lot of energy, and he brings like this persona that we're going to talk about in Tar um, that creates a, it, it it elicits like this joyful atmosphere and that's going to be very difficult to navigate and so you know we'll say what you say about tom cruise but during his top gun maverick press tour you didn't really see a whole lot of him um like you saw him at a few large junkets and a few late night shows but not as much as the other guys and i wonder if that might be the similar thing with this movie but you can't because this is not really it doesn't feel like an ensemble piece it feels like a will smith you know that i mean the difference there is that the difference there is that tom cruise is busy filming mission impossible that's true yeah yeah. and and like you know literally (laughs) flying jets into a premiere kind of thing yeah he's got stuff going on sure 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 but you know at the end of the day i think my my feelings are, are still fairly um mixed about it and I don't know if it really, I guess I'm curious to see how they're going to play it, to be honest. Like, I, I would not want to be in the shoes of the PR people for this movie, um, if that makes sense, right? So I, I'm very curious to see how they're going to play it up. And, you know, if it's going to be a Will Smith apology tour for six months before the movie's released, that's not what I want to see either, because what he did was just outright wrong, right? So I don't know how to feel about it. But what are you, where are you? That's a great question to throw back on yourself. I um, I like 
I I I want to see Antoine Fuqua do something interesting in a movie because uh, I feel like he's gotten stuck in this kind of you know junky action zone um, that I mostly not the biggest fan of. Uh, I'm not, not excited for another Equalizer film because I've not liked the previous two. Um, Magnificent Seven was whatever. Like it's been since like, like training. Movie. It's I I like it, but it's not like I'm you know sitting here being like, man, I can't wait when Magnificent <laughs> sure, Seven comes sure. out again. Yeah. Uh, so it's for me, it's been since like basically training day that he's had something like worthwhile um, beyond just like him being a competent action director, which he is. I mean, you know, there's stuff in like um, even the Equalizer films have decent action sequences. But so like him doing like a straight drama, uh, let alone a slavery drama um, and the look of this thing. It's like, well, it seems like he's doing something here that I am interested in. And you have pretty much the biggest movie star in the world <laughs> like being the, the lead central lead of this it's um i from that perspective as far as like what this film is offering i i am curious what that's going to be mm-hmm. i'm curious on an optimistic side because i do think these two together could work quite well mm-hmm. um i i don't know what I'm not opposed to having more, you know, slavery dramas. It's just more of I want to see what new we bring to this, and I hope that amounts to more than just interesting saturated colors and what have you. I, I want to mm-hmm. see like what what the meat on the story is supposed to be uh, that separates it out from other, you know, slavery dramas. Uh, so, like in that regard, I'm curious. It, uh, I, the cinematography, by the way, is by Robert Richardson, who's worked with Scorsese and a number of people. Like, so it's like this is going to be a good looking movie. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just hope certainly he, looks that way from the trailer. I just hope I, I hope there's something something here beyond a movie that says Will Smith wants to star as a slave in a big prestige drama. I want to like I want to know what this is that makes it like more worthwhile beyond just the notion of Will Smith. That's, that's a really good question. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like in that regard, I, I'm excited to see it. I hope it pans out in a significant, excuse me, in a significant way in mm-hmm. terms of the presence of this movie to begin with. I. I suppose I'm surprised that it's coming out now as opposed to next year, but I can understand also not wanting to like eat the cost for a year, yeah. like waiting it out or what have you. And like, frankly, regardless of anything surrounding, you know, people in their own lives, the two of them and everybody else worked very hard on this thing. Like they've worked to make this movie to come out when it was done. And the fact is it's done. So it's like, I get the notion of like, we have it and we want to put it out there and the season's not as the Oscar season's not as perhaps not as crowded as they maybe thought it would be, which is why they're considering moving it to begin mm-hmm. with, at least maybe not for Apple specifically too. like maybe Apple doesn't, you know, it's like, this is the only thing we have. So we might as well put this out. Um, I, I know it goes deeper than that, but that's part of it. So sure. it's like, well, are, is this, t- is a, is not even a year is several months long enough for people to kind of not focus on, things that happened at the oscar ceremony that's crazy you say that because i totally forgot that it was like yeah it's like march you know like, yeah, it was it was this past year yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't i was like yeah it feels like a long, long time ago but it literally it's, was it's only like with, it's within seven the months same ago. year yeah. that this happened wow <laughs> um you know we we talked about this a lot in our oscar post making it one of the more exciting oscar post shows that we've done on this podcast i mean there was just a lot to <laughs> a lot to unpack and it's like, it's not to downplay what happened because you're not wrong. Will, Will Smith did was wrong. It is that, you know, regardless of 
context or what have you surrounding things or after the fact opinion what like it still amounts to somebody assaulted somebody else on live television yeah <laughs> like, it was the craziest thing like, like you just lost your cool on on like the largest hollywood stage it's crazy yeah, it, it is yeah that that's wrong but with, with that said it's like we're months later now it you know <laughs> not to, it's not downplay but it's like what else is there? What are we supposed to do? Like, what else? What like are what kind of opinion are we supposed to have at this point in regards to this thing? What needs to be said by anybody that's going to somehow turn this in some other direction? And so I'm looking at it, thinking, well, why shouldn't we see a new Will Smith movie now at this level? Like, am I is a year from now going to make me like feel any differently about the scenario that took place? I don't know. I it doesn't. It's not a you know, if, if this movie came out the day after the Oscars, probably have some concern there. But it's like, yeah. you know, seven months later or whatever, I just I don't know what I'm supposed to why it's why I'm supposed to reject this. Look, I, I get what you're saying, and I'm it's not that I'm rejecting it. It's just more of I there was a punch that happened on the Golden State Warriors that made national headlines like just two months ago, or I'm sorry, two weeks ago. Um and that is a fairly serious thing. It, it, the video got leaked and it was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Warriors went into like a, a PR mode for sure. But they've all said the same thing, which is like, yes, we're, we're probably going to work to get over this, but it's going to take a long time. Right. And you think of the course of like an 82 game NBA season and you get into like things like May or something like that. But I think my point here is you're able to see Draymond Green play basketball with Jordan Poole like every other night um, or at least like once a week kind of thing. This one is just weird because I think that you had the Will Smith thing happen. You then have him apologize for it like a few months later or a couple months later via like a, 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 a or an Instagram post um, where he apologized, um, but he didn't really outright apologize to, to Chris Rock. Um, and then you haven't heard from him. So it just feels like, well, well you're totally right. Like there's a, wait, a certain wait, wait, time of month. Uh-huh. Go ahead. He hasn't it? I mean, he very much no, apologized. He, did, he, did he explicitly say that in the post? In the post, in the the very long video he left, like pretty fairly recently. Yeah, I'll have to go back. But in any case, my point is like, um, that is like a quite a long time of what you mentioned, like, you know, the seven months, 10 months, and the movie is going to be released like um, a little bit after that. Yeah. So the thing that makes it feel weird is like you have these huge like divots of time in which you did see Will Smith. You know what I mean? So it's like the thing happens, blackout, one uh, apology tour or apology post, and then huge blackouts. Like, so it feels still relatively fresh, if that makes sense. Um, versus like this, this punch with Jermaine Green, like it's more recent, but it feels like the healing has begun more so uh because you're able to see them more regularly like so it, it you know i think to answer your question of how else am i supposed to feel when this thing comes out like should i feel bad it's like i don't think that you necessarily have to feel bad but it just feels like there's like not a whole lot that has gone on so maybe the sour taste of the punch and then all or the slap i'm sorry uh the slap and then also the the um apology post just hasn't quote unquote done enough. And, you know, I'm not here to answer like, well, what is enough? Just more that it feels like there, 
it has has been a lot of distance but still not enough distance if that makes sense so it's a weird like time feel yeah i i hear you and i i mean there's just no reason to relitigate the slack yeah, exactly and, like what happened with no that. no and i'm not it's trying nice. to I'm no, just, no i'm not saying you yeah, are I'm just I, 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 like I, a timeline I, perspective it feels like just large points in time versus one that you can see continuously moving for sure and i mean because it also comes down to like well what <laughs> you can look at so many other performers out there and whatnot that have varying you know rumors and what have you circulating about them uh, things that are certainly more severe than one man slapping somebody else and it's like well when i bring that into play it's like well so what what does this amount to like why, why should i feel worse about this than other things and it's so it's like it's this weird like moral issue i guess to some degree but but it's like so does time make it better time heals all wounds as a saying i don't know what to think in terms mm-hmm. in terms of like this movie coming out now i mean just like being honest like i want to see the movie like i can't yeah. <laughs> like if, i can't i can't yeah. turn that off as far as you know like this guy did a thing that was wrong a guy that you know we all presumably like did a thing that was wrong well but opinions certain, have definitely changed for opinions, sure opinions yeah. have changed but it's like I get it. I, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I get, and I get, again, I get, like, I get there's a, there's a natural hesitation that comes with this, which makes totally, a lot yeah. of sense. But it's also like that's why I'm curious to see like his, his press tour. But you know, if I were to put my Apple hat on, mm-hmm. my Apple exec hat on, it's just like just release it. You know what I mean? Release it so we yeah. can just get it over with. And well, so I mean, that's to, like that's wait for it for you know you're talking about like money spent in the vault and also money spent you know. Um, uh, marketing it a year from now. It's like just release it. We'll see what happens. If it bombs, it bombs. We'll never talk about it again. It it also reminds me of like um, uh, what was it that movie that was just like, well, they didn't release it, which is the Batwoman movie. That was like gonna be straight to streaming though, but that that's like something where it's just like that was up for debate. Done. Like it was initially gonna be streaming, then it was announced it was gonna go to theaters. Like I oh, don't I didn't know, know that. It there that makes, is that makes it sadder. Actually. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I would have seen that in theaters. I want to see Michael Keaton. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I was just like, for my for my Apple exec hat. I think you're totally right. Which is, hey man, let's just not sit on it. Just do what we have to do, and and um, we'll just move on to other projects. And it's it's always weird when you have an actor that just won Best Actor, and then a year later has another film that could potentially get them Best Actor. Sure. Um, and I, you know, I struggle to, th- I mean, I'm trying to think of like, who are the other Oscar contenders so far? This is not the job that I have. This is something for friends of the show, Mark Johnson or, or Clay or what have you. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like, well, it's like what, like Austin Butler and Colin Farrell. Like there's not, it doesn't seem like it's a huge list right now. It's mm-hmm. like, I get, again, I get why you would put it now. Like it's yeah. the potential for it to get, if not wins, at least that nomination, that's, that's not a, that's a good thing for Apple. <laughs> that, 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 is a, that is a good thing for them to have. You know, they have sure. the biggest movie star in the world get an Oscar nomination. One of their movies makes sense. Yeah. Um, and again, like they're going to test the waters, right? It'll it'll be wild if he wins. Let me tell you, right there. <laughs> like if he actually, pulls it'd be, off it'd be great win, if if he wins. Wild. And then just like I don't I don't know what would happen at that. Well, point. he can't go. He's not. But he's allowed. He, to he's be not nominated. part of the. He's, he's not allowed to be nominated. He's allowed, he's allowed yeah. to win. He just can't yeah. go to the actual event. Not the first time that's happened. Roman Polanski won Best Director for The Pianist in 2002. I mean, well, let's not, not get into Roman Polanski. No, it's not a matter of what's right or wrong. It's like it's the, it wouldn't be the first time that somebody won that's not allowed to be a part of the ceremony. I, I hear what you're saying, but yeah, Roman Polanski is a very 
weird situation. Yeah, again, that has nothing to do with what he's done. It's just the the parameters of what the Oscars have established. <laughs> sure. Is so, like if Will Smith won, it's like, well, that'd be crazy, but <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens, obviously. Yeah. Um, regardless, wow. Emancipation <laughs> arrives in select theaters on December 2nd and is streaming on Apple TV Plus on December 9th. Okay. All right. Let's move on. That was the show. All right. Thanks, Amy. <laughs> Let's get to our film review for Tar. If you're here, then you already know who she is. Lydia Tar is many things. As a conductor, Tar began her career with the Cleveland Orchestra, Chicago Symphony Orchestra, the Boston Symphony Orchestra, until she had last arrived here at our own New York Philharmonic. In 2013, Berlin elected Tar as its principal conductor, and she's remained there ever since. Lydia Tarr has also written music for the stage and screen. She is one of only 15 EGOTs, meaning those who have won all four major entertainment awards. Thank you for joining us, Maestro. Thank you. How's the writing going? Not so well. I keep hearing something. Schopenhauer measured a man's intelligence against his sensitivity to noise. Do you ever find yourself overwhelmed by emotion? Yes. Yes, it does happen. That should have been some of the trailer for Tar. Todd Field first hit the scene in the early 2000s with In the Bedroom. He followed that up with Little Children in 2006. And after a few unrealized projects and more than a decade and a half later, we have Tar a psychological drama following the unraveling of Lydia Tarr, a famed chief conductor of the Berlin Philharmonic, who starts the film at the top of the world as she's about to release a book, as well as a live recording of Mahler's Fifth Symphony. Through a series of events, some more tragic, some more tragic than others, the veil over Lydia begins to lift and various details and criticism about her life start to emerge, leading to a downward spiral. Abe, I'm curious, yes. what did you think of Tar? Tar um in a word incredible um and not without its flaws though like I, I i use the word incredible because of the filmmaking the acting the themes of the story like a lot of the questions i had after the movie how much i thought about this um and like there simply is a lot of buzz being generated about Kate blanchett and after having seen the movie deservedly so um, but it is this incredible movie about, at least to my perspective, and it, it, I should preface this by saying that I did not watch the trailer, even though you just heard some of the trailer. Um, I didn't watch the trailer. I kind of went in super blind, and um, I had heard buzz about Kate uh, Blanchett's performance. But yeah, I it's this incredible movie about just, I guess, like where ego can take you, where genius can take you and genius, maybe sometimes in quotes can take you and maybe like imposter syndrome to some degree and like the toxicity of that. But there's just a lot that's going to be unraveled here as we talk more. Like I, d I don't want to get too much into my thoughts because I kind of want to hear your brief thoughts and then go like almost step by step through this. And I feel like there is this really like simple story with a lot of ambiguous twists and turns that allows you as an audience member to just be like, you could interpret it for whatever you might want, but there's, there's a really 
like nuanced way of direction that that um todd has has made uh, this movie with and i found it again absolutely incredible and like is it the best movie of the year it i think it's really up there but i certainly had some some um questions and and i guess maybe flaws might be like the wrong word but there's like some things that i didn't think really worked for me um, to some parts but what about you what were your brief thoughts so i really like this movie and it's only grown on me since because i've had time to think about it yeah uh, because it is doing a lot with a little i think is a way to put it um you know interesting we just talked about emancipation for a long time and i think <laughs> about you know will smith being on the top of the world and dealing with something that obviously put his you know his his um his time in Career? the spotlight yeah. into not necessarily jeopardy but certainly challenged it that's not the case with this movie as far as how we see somebody unravel and i think i mean it's it's a counterpoint as far as like what one person can do to like make themselves you know, try to rebuild something as opposed to continually going down. And someone I, not a direct relation to, someone I kept thinking about while watching this movie, Tiger Woods. I, I kept thinking about It's fascinating that you thought, yeah, I, I had people that I thought about in terms of downfall slash returns as well. But it's yeah, just saying like how this, pro, like the movie, it sets you up with Tar, who is just every accolade that she's ever gotten is right there, right in front of you at the top. Mm -hmm. You get every like, and it's a ridiculously long list of like accomplishments. Essentially just like she's an EGOT winner, which she's an EGOT. She's got a book coming. She's going to like re-record the, this Mahler symphony studied at Harvard, you know, like just incredible resume. And she's essentially pulled herself up from like nowhere. She comes from Staten Island. Like, I mean, there's like, there's so much in this thing as far as setting up this person as like the best in the world that you're like, well, this movie has nowhere to go but down which is like it's such a great like for like a foreboding way to present somebody by giving them all of their hits and being like well what else could this movie be about other than how things come crashing down into terrible better but i like that the film doesn't necessarily spell that out for you right beyond like just general know-how of like well if the movie's saying this then this has to happen yeah the movie itself it really takes its time to get you into what's going to take place here, what's going to change, what's going to make some kind of arc take place. And I can see that as being frustrating for some. This movie is long. It is over well over two and a half hours. I can see that, the, you know, the first hour and change of this movie, basically just giving you perspective on what her daily life is, isn't necessarily going to be that interesting. Uh, before it starts getting into heavier stuff, which I think starts in like a classroom is like the first major thing that occurs to like get things moving. Probably one of the best scenes of the year. It is. (laughs) um, But in doing that, I, that's the kind of thing I can really sit and take in and enjoy. Like I like just, I think Todd field field is a good, is a great filmmaker. And so the fact that he's going to give me a move that takes its time like this to, you know, push us on into this life of this person before like, getting into the, the more nitty gritty stuff that's going to take place I, it, when it's done well it's done well yeah and, and I'm watching Kate Blanchett doing this knowing all the praise that she's gotten already for this performance and I'm like okay good actor acting good and she's learned German she's conducting like what is the thing that's making this go over the top for people so by the time you get to like where this thing's going and like what the what the film's motivation is supposed to be like I you could I could see where this like where this praise for Blanche was coming from more easily where it's like okay this person this is a there is a character here that is fully realized and having their back against the wall means they're going to be doing a lot of different kinds of things that I, I found just to be really fascinating 
Yeah. Uh, so I purposely did not write anything in our in our shared notes file. The reason being exactly this, because I think that this movie is incredible for its interpretation. Like a lot of people can interpret a lot of things from it. Mm-hmm. I like your reading of it. I had a different reading of it, which is one of the most fascinating things. And so I dig that, you know, I, I echo your sentiment about Todd Field saying not not explicitly explaining everything to you and just being like, this is how I want you to feel about Lydia Tarr. And this is how I want you to feel about my movie. Um, he puts a lot of nuance into everyday situations, you know, mm-hmm. interactions with people, um, sometimes like performance piece things so that you can build your own understanding of who this person is. And I found that to be fascinating. Um, so uh, I had a different read on this movie. Like, um, like I, I have the same read in terms of just like, the um you know a downfall of something but i i also had like what i mentioned earlier like this boost of ego and this boost of genius and when you take a look at things from that perspective and then you take a step back and you realize that what you missed said earlier which i i actually didn't think it was that and i was just like oh she's probably on long island but i was like this is an incredible character piece for an actor to portray like if you got this script as an actor, you're just like this. I'm gonna win an Oscar for this kind of thing. But I I love that there was just a lot here at play, and we're dancing around some things. Because are we are we different though? I'm trying to understand where we're different on. I think things. that we're just different from this the standpoint of I think that there's we're not too too far off. But I I had more of like this. Um, I had a visceral feeling with Lydia of just like this person is not a great person. Like. She, I, didn't, I didn't i didn't weigh in on whether i thought it was, she was great or not I, I, yeah. was, in terms of like the movie well, tell me, tell me what you think about that then oh I, I i i completely agree with you as far as this is a person that's very much gotten by on the fact that her fame and success and talent have put her in a place where she can do and say whatever she wants to and so that's why i'm saying at the outset listing all these accomplishments i know that there has to be some kind of like giant shoe that will drop and bring her down in some capacity there's too many ominous shots that indicate that something's going on where we're, we're going to start to understand more about who this person sure is. sure yeah now, I, I guess you're saying from the outset you're thinking like right away you thought this person sucks <laughs> like, I mean, no, no 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 I, I think like no we're, we're totally right you're, you're totally right on like the lead up to things like oh uh-huh. great you know there's like some stuff but i didn't think about like uh, i didn't think about uh, a shoe dropping i just thought about like this person is like I think the shoe drop thing comes into play. You kind of hear it throughout the movie and then it, it expands and whatever else. But I was thinking more of this person is not that smart. This person is actually a, um, like the, again, their ego has driven them to, to become this talented person, but also they are to some degree a, a phony, like a, a, um, a catcher in the ride type phony. And I found the two fascinating. And I was like, of course you cannot sustain this because you are not this person. And you find this a lot in. You mean in terms of like, it, it, yeah, like in talent also, like in terms of what she's able to, what she's got. No, she's able to, like, you definitely know that she is a good composer mm-hmm. and you know that she's talented on that front, but everything about her, like the way that the movie is set up from the beginning. Um, I, I also should mention, or we should also mention that this stay, stay for the credits because they're in the beginning of the movie. Um, <laughs> so don't think that you're don't don't think like somebody at my projection or my screening room was like, I'm going to go get the manager. 
because I think that they put the film film reels in wrong. It's like there's no reels anymore. It's all just digital. Um, <laughs> so don't worry. Like this is why I I actually almost like some art house movies because some art house theaters because they'll 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 have some guy that comes out says like hey the movie's gonna be starting just to give you a heads up the movie starts with credits and then the movie will like so we didn't make a mistake and that's what I what I like about some of the care that some of these theater houses do. But um, with that being said, I she she's sometimes uh, she portrays herself as this thing and the movie even sets it up like we hear all of these things about her background her um all the accomplishments and we see all these like um great uh 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 what you call it like um like phot- photographs of her and yet you have the girl from portrait of a lady on fire i forget her name um it's uh Naomi Merlant. Merlant, yeah. And she comes in here and she's like mouthing everything that is being said by the moderator. I found that to be again a fascinating look at what is genius. Like, is this quote unquote faux genius? F-A-U-X genius. And I I really enjoy that. So, you know, the shoe dropping part was just one element of you created something that you could not sustain because you are not the person that you are. And I, I love that element of this movie. I'm curious your thoughts. Thoughts in regard. What, what's the question? What's the question there? I'm sorry. Well, just like overall, uh, again, um, the Cape Blanchette, like, did you think that she was a genius in this movie? I mean, I think, like yes is my answer to that but like genius is not a a term that you know it, it uh, diminishes any other you know capabilities of what that person can do right i mean the yeah. geniuses are complicated people because they have you know basically the, the world thrust at them believing that they are perfection when it comes to the thing that they're a genius in uh which makes them inherently flawed people i don't know if there's any perfect genius out there it doesn't make there's no such thing as perfection right well, you, don't to, you don't have to necessarily define it per se but I, I was just... No, 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 just in terms of, so in terms of like who taught who lydia is yeah like i be, i believe that you know you don't get to this you don't become an egot winner by chance right i mean it, it there there has to be something there that backs that up in terms mm-hmm. of what she's able to accomplish but yeah, I mean, she's absolutely flawed as an individual for a variety of reasons that the movie yeah. goes over. Um, and I, and yeah, like I, I, as I've been saying, like, did I see specifically what was coming? Not necessarily, but did I, did I see something coming as far sure, as revealing sure. more about her? Absolutely. Because you just, you, you can't, you can't set somebody up this way yeah. and not expect, you know, no drama to fall out from that. And I, I appreciated that the film and that Blanchett allowed allowed the character, I guess, to be, I mean, unlikable yet still compelling. Um, actually, I'm curious about sure. that. Did, did you find? I mean, did you find Tara like like? Were you? Did you find no, her I, I unlikable? You or adic- did you find her compelling? Mm-hmm. I think that you adequately described it there. Was like she's compelling. She's unlikable, but she's compelling. And I I, I would say that the litmus test for me for this for her character. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, before I get to that point, like I think the the additional piece that I would add on in terms of um, uh, detail to just what I'm talking about in terms of faux genius or or even like imposter syndrome gone too far um, is that you have like these screenshots of people talking about how what she's talking about is just like bullshit in these like symposium forums. Um, and I found that to be fascinating too. But to answer your question of, of um, 
you know, is she a, a bad person, terrible person? I, I wasn't sure. And I love that the movie that sets it up. And then you get to this litmus test of what you talked about with this Juilliard classroom. And at that point, I was like, I see what you're saying, Lydia Tarr. I kind of disagree with you to some point, but also like you're, you definitely are pushing buttons just to like push buttons. So you are a nasty person, but you're not completely wrong. And so, again, there's this ambiguity to some degree of this character. But I I thought that as the movie goes on, I think you see more reveals of things that perhaps uh, lead you one way or another. But there is still this overall effect of, I think that she's just in over her head. Um, Oh, for sure. And I... It's hard to be like, let me rewatch this nearly three hour movie. I, 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 but, same, but, same. I was like, the, I think but, I should watch this right again. But you certainly like, you get a sense of like, I wonder how this will play on a second time, knowing all the things that you know about her by the end of this movie. Sure. And I, I find that to be, I mean, that's, that's, I think, a good mark of a good movie. But it's also, I think, pretty fascinating as far as having such a, you know, not an entire gear shift, but you're certainly like, you have more to go on given how much of this, you know, the, front chunk of this movie you know leaves things to some kind of interpretation yeah uh, before you you know you get more specifically into like what's going on here i i want to put out a couple other things about the film beyond sure. just tar uh this movie's sound design is wonderful i, I want to um, I, I brought that up too or I, I wrote that in my notes as well and not just in like the composing and conducting things obviously which are great mm-hmm. but the, the sound design specifically because i noticed this it starts out very quiet and for a movie that's about a conductor and music, I was like, why is like, is it a theater thing or what? And then I realized, oh, we're adding stuff throughout this movie. This is a layered film. And I, then I did some research earlier later on and realized, okay, so the movie starts out in mono mm-hmm. and it adds more and more channels to it as it goes along. So by the mm-hmm. time you get to the end of this thing, it's a full on like musical experience. Oh, it's stereo. <laughs> yeah, but there's more layers to it, know, obviously. Mean, yeah. um, I noticed so- that too. Like I really dug the sound design and I dug it in a way of, um, it was very subtle the way that they did it. I, I'm not talking about like the way that you were talking about the design or the actual engineering of it. More just there are scenes in this movie that have no music, no like sound at all, except for like the clicking of a pen or mm-hmm. a tapping of a foot or something like that. And that is all. And then the character of Tar is annoyed by certain things too. And they're only they're the only sound in that certain scene yes and it's really really well done and again i picked that on, i picked up on that but um like the times in which she quote unquote feels good about things is when she's with her um or, or orchestra but other times when she's annoyed by something it could be a scream in a park it could be the sound of um a doorbell ringing it could be the hum of a refrigerator and it's it's just really uh, genius the way that they did that. So good job, Top Field. Yeah, it adds this kind of again this foreboding element as far as like what what is Tar what is what is she going through in this film? Is, is are these demons demons coming back to haunt her in some way? She's yeah. just psychologically stressed out. Is it just the pressure of living up to being the Lydia Tar that people know? Like there's so there's so many ways to question why it is that her mind is you know, essentially fracturing in the realm of sound haunting her. Um, and I, yeah. I found that to be just very clever. Um, yeah. And given, um, given the real quick, the given the movie, mm-hmm. 
you know, sometimes you look at these movies and you wonder, is there a way you could make a film like this and, you know, transplant this person to another profession or whatnot? I think the music is absolutely key to this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the fact that she's a conductor is key to this movie. It's not just mm-hmm. a matter of let's take a, you know, look at a person um, that has an ego and point a, you know, throw a dart at the board and say, oh, she's a conductor. No, the fact that he's a conductor heavily informs what this film is doing. Right. And I, I find I find that doll to be very interesting. Yeah, agreed on that echo or uh, on the conductor part because. She talks about being able to control time, meaning time in a piece of music, and also force measures and whatever the case is. And when she's not in control of these things, it annoys the shit out of her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I found that to be a really cool reveal into her psyche, into her personality, into her character development. Um, I mean, this movie is all character development. But um, yeah, I it was a really, really cool detail that uh, I'm glad people picked up on. Um. We mentioned Blanchett a lot. We mentioned uh, Berlant as well, who plays her assistant. Yes, who has, who has uh, another great performance. Who has a no- number of like choice looks that she gives. A lot of it, a lot of facial acting, I think, on her yeah. part. Uh, but also good Nina Haas, uh, who plays her. I mean, her, her wife essentially, her partner, her, yeah. Yeah, her partner, um, and and you know the other mother of her child. Um, uh, th- I there's a lot not said from her. Um, a lot informed by just her reactions to things mm-hmm. I think plays really well um, as, as far as further expanding on who Tar is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I thought that, I thought this was a really strong, like it's a really effective supporting performance because of how minimal it may seem and yet how you know, crucial it is to setting you up for like what, what Lydia is doing as, and like what she's not doing and how that's going to affect things around her. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot, this movie is a lot of um, silent facial acting. And Nina Haas, terrific. You know, first chair. She sits first chair in the orchestra, and some people kind of maybe call it like uh, favoritism to some degree, but they they publicly address it in the movie of just you know we came out with our relationship, and she's really good violinist. Um, and yeah, she gives like some glances from time to time, but she also has some emotional weight to her later in this movie because uh, what I was talking about earlier with the what happens and then the way that you sort of think that you know how to do everything but you kind of don't because people helped you along the way she has a great like i don't know it's like a 30 second sequence where she explains to lydia that we were a team like uh we should be doing this together kind of thing um and it's really effective so you know like as far as like awards considerations goes for her i don't think that she would be nominated for like best supporting but she turns in a really good performance for sure. Yeah. Um, There's not a whole lot of other characters, but I kind of want to ask you about two other people and then like one other main. So who Donovan from last crusade? (laughs) Uh, Mark strong. And then also their daughter. Uh, uh, Mark strong plays like this. I guess uh, an, he's a, a he's a lawyer colleague? and yeah. he's a colleague, a lawyer, and a fellow conductor. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Which is a, it was a little weird to think about. I was like, think he can be all these things? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is America, man. But uh, yeah, no, um, that character, and then also like their daughter character, and then obviously the the third large character is this new cellist in in the orchestra that is coming along. But um, I was curious what your uh, takes on uh, any of those three. Well, I guess maybe not the cellist because there's more to dive into. Mark Strong plays a twerp. I mean, that's the that's like, interesting. I, yeah, I, I, 
he's, yeah. he's, he's a little twerp. Like I, I got that impression the second he was on screen. Cause when Mark Strong has hair, it's different. Um, but, <laughs> but, but it, it felt, it felt, he felt like a character who has been attached to Lydia because she brings in profit for him. Um, and, mm-hmm. and the more we learn about him, it, Regardless of Lydia's actions, it does feel like he's a guy that's ready to jump in and do whatever he needs to to stay successful uh, in his own in his own way. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, which it's like you know, Lydia is not the best person. I don't think Mark Strong is worse than her, but I got this vibe that just was like, I don't trust this guy. <laughs> <laughs> they do have quite an extended tea conversation in the earlier part of the movie, mm-hmm. um, but. That's interesting that you that you have that read because I was like I, I I don't know like is he an opportunist or is he just like this guy that's like a fumbling idiot kind of thing because he could be know, both yeah he looks like <laughs> he looks like he's just like lost all the time he he looks like um the um the agent uh from um inside Lou and Davis where he's just like oh I don't know we had an appointment today kind of thing but okay yeah. um, but in any case uh, Mark Strong comes in here he gives a Mark Strong is Mark Strong right. But yes. he, he gives like a performance where I was just I, I was curious what people's reads were because um, certain events happen and then he shows up again later in the movie to, to terminate the relationship um, and then other things happen too. But um, I, what about the daughter? Um, I can't say I had like the biggest impression on her beyond like she's effective. Just, yeah, she, she's, she, she I, I only bring to. her up because she's like the fifth major lead in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I liked could, her. Yeah, go ahead. I could, I, I could see that like Lydia feels this like conflict of she clearly loves this. You know, this it's her daughter. She clearly loves yeah. their their daughter. Um, and it's a matter of like, can she, can she be the person she wants to be to be a proper role model and be a good mother and all that exactly, and, and, st- and still be the person that also has her own separate apartment that she goes to to do her work or what have you and yeah. separates herself from her family. I had the same feeling, which is this is, uh, I you know, she I didn't bring her up for no real reason. It's more that she plays a crucial part in this movie because she actually humanizes Lydia a lot. Yeah, yeah. But to your point, like there's also a lot of there's a lot of distance between them too. It feels that way, um, even though they're on screen together and they live in the same house. It's like this person doesn't really exist except for when I want her to exist. But when she does exist, I feel for her, like Lydia, I feel for her and I want to take care of her. But beyond that, it's just like, I don't like, I'll let my spouse take care of her because I have to go fly to New York for a day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I found it very fascinating. I'm just like, this person humanizes this person that I don't really like that much or I've grown to not really like that much, even though I, I still think she's a complex and complicated character, Lydia Tarr is. Um, but I, I love that the daughter just like, I'm here when you want me to be here and I'm going to be the same person, like the, the innocence of children type thing. Even though like you're not great. I, I will say that she also leads into some additional developments of maybe like a supernatural element to things. Um, and I want to specifically point out like one scene where um, they both look off camera and that it actually scared me a little bit. Uh, yeah okay i think i know what you're talking about yeah and i was like i don't know what they're looking at but i'm scared Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and then we move into the cellist right so this cellist is arguably like the third largest role this movie um i'm curious your take on on uh on olga the character olga um it's well played Mm -hmm. uh the 
there's a sort of you know i what i like what i find interesting is i i don't I, the movie doesn't spell out how much olga knows about what she's getting into mm-hmm. um and so you wonder is she also similarly an opportunist uh someone that's talented that just happened to find her way in is she purposely positioning herself in a certain way so she mm-hmm. can get lydia's attention um or or did just things just happen to work out a certain way and then she's become like a certain subject of questionable or questioning as far as lydia trying to connect to her in some way sure um and i i think that the actress uh, sophie cower uh brings all of those qualities out quite well as far as you know i know we've used the term ambiguity a lot and i think that applies here as far as what what exactly her deal is in regards to where she wants to be seen with Lydia. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good, it's a good performance and one that just adds more complexity to, yeah, to the, the nature of what's already going on with Lydia. Yeah. I, I thought it was a really good performance too. And I, I, it, everything that you said there, I, I want to add that I, I dug that there's like this dichotomy between the two as well. Um, you know, Lydia is just like, I studied at Harvard. I know all these like musical pieces and movements, and I know all these um, composers. Um, where did you study? And she just says YouTube. Like, yeah. I got interested in music because I heard one piece. And she's like, well, what did you think the whole movement, the whole symphony? She's like, I just heard one track, dude, and I wanted to play cello. And so I got, I got uh, interested in youth orchestra. And this is like, I think that there's a really, really cool dynamic between the two. Yes, because of a uh, some relationship tension, which is never really explored beyond just um, they they went to New York together because she wanted somebody to hold her bags because she hurt her shoulder, right? Which is all that you see on the screen. But I think that this is a really fascinating dichotomy or uh, dichotomy between the two, just because is there real genius here versus faux genius? Because there's mm-hmm. one point where she's like, hey. Um, can I play something on your piano? And I was like, oh, I thought you were a cellist. Like as an audience member, I was like, I thought you were a cellist. Um, and she plays a piano and then she makes a key change to something that Lydia has been working on. And I was like, this is where, you know, as a person who is quote unquote a genius or is a real genius, this is like a goodwill hunting scene where like, oh, this kid is way smarter than I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the movie ex- actually explores this. I'm just, uh, this is how I'm term- interpreting it. Sure, yeah. But I found that to be really fascinating of just like, oh, are you actually concerned because somebody is better than you are and you kind of want to like really help them, but also like keep them close kind of thing. And that I, I, I it was such a really cool like juxtaposition of a the old world and the new world, because I also dig that this movie touches upon soul or uh, uh, digital media. Um, and versus like old pressed records kind of thing. Um, and then just more of this character, what is her role? Is she here to, exactly to your point, like is she here to be, uh, you know, a monkey wrench into the, the cog of your life? Or is it just more that she's just here because she just loves the symphony and she knows that she wants to play in Berlin because that's one of the best houses to play at? Yeah. Yeah. Um. I think a couple more things we can get into Please. before we kind of wrap up. Uh, one is, you know, there we haven't spelled out exactly what's going on with Lydia Tarr, uh, but uh, you know, the film, the film is dealing with the, you know, the to some extent the cancel culture era. Yes, uh, the, you know, as far as 
what can be said about somebody versus what they actually did, let alone accountability versus what whatever people want to consider the term canceled to mean, because um, it's a nonsense term, I guess. But uh, the uh, the 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 nature of Tara's actions coming back on her, uh, um, I'm curious what you how you thought the film did as far as kind of connecting her to the time in terms of its relevance to the times. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, yeah. 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 That, yeah. And, and I know weird. that you're, I know that we have sort of have to like sort of be ambiguous because it, it is a major plot point in this movie too. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that it was a really, really interesting look at cancel culture um, and cancellation in general too. One from the manipulation of social media. Yes. But again, like, when you get to this point of this movie, you're probably like more than halfway through uh, where it starts becoming more of a of a plot point. Mm-hmm. And I think what's interesting about it is what we just talked about in the first half of our review here of what do you think of Lydia Tar? <laughs> and so if you think about if you if you like her and you kind of like want to be on her side, then you're just like you're on the side of the PR people who are just like, we'll just give it a few weeks and, and it'll, it's fine. Like nobody's really picked it up. The New York Post kind of picked it up, but nobody really else. Um, or if you kind of dislike her, you're just like, I hope that you get some comeuppance of some kind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I find it very intriguing uh, from the standpoint of, you know that there's been some sort of like impropriety to some degree. Like we don't know what the details are, but there is another character that has never seen uh, or heard from uh, this, Krista, this Krista character. And it's clear that something has gone on between the two in terms of not being able to, to get music positions and whatever the case is, right. Recommendations and, and whatever else like, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of like alluded to that maybe like there was like some additional things, but again, never seen or heard from. Um, and I, I, I dig that. Yes, there is like this, you know, um, element of, well, here's more stuff for for uh, this character to become even more like to invest more more of our time into understanding whether you uh, understand who Lydia Tar is. But I I dig that it was done in a way that was not beating us over the head with um, Lydia's a bad person, like straight up for, straight off the bat. And Krista is totally right. And here we are. It's like there's there's so much more gray in this. And and I'm not trying to be insensitive about the subject of cancel culture um some of these people that are that have been accused are definitely guilty um but i for this movie i dig that there was just a lot of um like i don't know what happened but i definitely know that something happened and because that something happened the aftermath of it is way more profound because this person uh lydia tar kind of just decided to like think that she's above it all and that's where it becomes a dangerous like ego game yeah, I, I, I don't have much to expand on that because I agree, and I just I did find it all fascinating. I, I like the trying to understand more about this person through another person, like it, and how that how that relates to like what people are going through in reality. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting take that I don't think was perhaps not the initial focus of this film, but in terms of like making it it's an interesting way to like well how would this actually play out if like someone was dealing with various accusations or what have you this is a film that i think knows how to explore that cleverly without you know making it the 
you know, the thesis of the film or what have you, just more of like, this would be it. This would clearly be an element that we'd have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like curious. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, well, I was going to say like, it is like an element that they have to deal with, but it actually becomes a larger theme because you sort of see the same habits repeating themselves in this movie. Yes. Yeah. And so it becomes more of a, not even like a, a, a crime movie or anything like that. It just becomes like this very interesting intrigue of, is it going to happen again? And I, I have to keep harping on this because my, my impression of it is just more of, um, you know, I can't believe that you would be so egotistical and so ridiculous as to be like, my word is the end all and not recommend somebody for something. Like, I understand that, um, you know, if this person was not very good at something, then yeah, a recommendation is not warranted. But there's actually like one very quick scene where uh, somebody's doing some research on a computer. And you're like, musical genius, Krista something, or like, you know, musical savant, Krista something uh, is, uh, you know, something happened to this character, right? And you're just thinking to yourself, this is the, like, I can't believe that, you know, um, a character like Lydia Tarr would be so, I guess, uh, monstrous to some degree to like be so insensitive to uh, a former student or something like that. So it, it's hard because I'm dancing around it, but mm-hmm. um, there's uh, again just a lot of layers to it. I'm sorry, you're gonna ask me a question. I've lost the track of that, but I but I know what you're saying. Uh, it's and it's in the realm of what you're saying anyway, so it's fine. But yeah. um, but I, it, what, I oh yeah, go ahead. No go. I was I was gonna ask. Were there movies that this movie reminded you of? whiplash comes to mind very easily um because i think that that can help inform the listeners as to like why we're dancing around things but yes um whiplash definitely comes anything else um not right now not offhand yeah like Um, i was keeping tabs of movies as i was watching this one in theater and i was like this reminds me of phantom thread uh the social network whiplash for sure the lighthouse to some degree and even there will be blood there will be blood makes sense to me. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Like I think that some of those movies are like way better than this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it certainly evokes a sense of, you know, a machine that has come along that is keeping going. And then you just have to like, hold on sometimes yeah, because sure. you've created the machine. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I wanted to get to is, you know, not to spell out the end, but there is basically like an extended epilogue in this film as yes. far as kind of where, where things go for Lydia. And I'm just curious of your thoughts on it as a whole. Cause for me, I, for one thing, I, I, I like that it kept going as far uh-huh. as like, we're at, like we're at a certain point where the film could stop. And then it's like, well, let's, let's get into what the fallout of everything that occurred would be. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of ends on what almost feels like a dark punchline before mm-hmm. it like finally like leads us out of the film and so I'm curious what 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 was your take on on where this the final like ten minutes of the film was? I thought that it kept the same momentum as the rest of the movie. Like to some degree, it was it was the character turn of Lydia Tarr in some of the scenes kind of took me out of it. Not not completely out of it, but they are drastic turns. Um, and I'm not even talking about like a scene at a symphony house. I'm more talking about like a scene at um, an apartment flat. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I dug about it is that it kept it keeps going. The number five keeps repeating, and so she's still quote unquote haunted by by 
the fifth movement of I forget the the composer's name Mahler Mahler, um, but I laughed at the end, and I was like the only person in my theater that laughed at the end because I thought that this was such a a hilarious thing, but also I laughed because it was like what you said there, like this weird darkly comedic um, ending, and I thought that it landed the ending. Now, prior to that, that's where I get to who is Lydia Tarr, because there's actually a sequence where she goes um, to like her childhood home mm-hmm. um, and things unfold. And there I was just like, I knew it. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't that I was I was doing a guessing game all throughout, but I was like, this helps add to my understanding of who this person is. And it's not even meant as like a slight or anything. It's just more of a okay, I, I understand who this person is much more and I understand the conviction that was needed to drive themselves to lead a life um, that they led, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I dug the ending there and uh, I think that there was like this um, the sense of this is not it. You know, we brought up cancellation culture and we brought up, you brought up um, uh, who's the, who's the uh, actor that you brought up? Well, I talk about Will Smith, but I talk about Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, yeah, yeah. yeah you're talking about Tiger Woods. I thought of Louis C.K. in this, uh, and I was just thinking to myself, like, I actually thought of the way that this person keeps performing, and people still buy their stuff, and they're actually wins a Grammy, making making a comeback to some degree, right? So this, the ending of this movie, sort of reminded me of how if your art is sort of quote unquote undeniable, then you're never really done per se. Um, which might be like a dark thing to think about too, uh, but I don't. I don't know if Todd really gave a whole lot of thought to that. I mean, I the this is about going into the ending. I, I mean, I'm not saying that Lydia is necessarily done by the end yeah, of this movie. I don't think so either. But I I think there's a difference between where she is in this movie versus Louis C.K. who is performing in like major venues and winning yeah, yeah. Grammys <laughs> by right. comparison. Sure. I don't think. I don't. I don't think Lydia's. I don't think he's fallen as far as what he's able to do, where I do think Lydia has more like, if, you know, we'll see what Tartu has to say about this. <laughs> Tar harder. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Tardy Tartar. Um, <laughs> well, it's called Star Symphony number no. two. That's yeah, what there you called. go. That's actually pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Tar's second symphony. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, 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 but I do think the, if there was a path to recovery, it's a steeper ladder to climb for her. Yeah, I hear you. And I think that there's still elements of, of a dark humor all laced throughout that ending. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> like I actually really dug the part where she's, uh, you know, the shoe hasn't fully dropped. There's like a third shoe, I guess, um, in this, in this example, but I like that there's still this examination of, all right, well, what do you guys think that the, the composer was trying to say in these pieces? And then you see what the piece is. And I just, I just laughed mm-hmm. of how, how dark it is. But again, this person that I know to be um, both uh, good and not so good at times is just in the situation now. So. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find the film too long? Um, or paced in a way that was there it's like, weird because I, I would say my answer largely is no but mm-hmm. then we talked like some of the flaws that i had here were the ending because i felt like that was too too uh they didn't spend enough time on some of these things you thought it was too abrupt yes 
Yeah. And not to say that, you know, you have to spend the same amount of equal time, you know, with her traveling to like the Philippines and whatever the case is. It's just more that I think that there was, yeah, like this, this um, abruptness to that part that I think could have really um, either like lost some, some of the things that they're doing or just like gone more straight into things. So like on the whole though, no, I think that this runtime is totally warranted because again, uh, I just dug that it kept setting up more pieces to to come back to, more pieces to fall, you know, more of this elaborate. It's not even like a minotaur's maze because at the end of it, there's no real like, you know, ghoul, right, to to get you. It's just more like there's a, this 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 facade that you've just set up for yourself and you just like you mm-hmm. just get lost in it. Mm-hmm. What about you? What did you think is too long? It's like two hours and 38 minutes or something like that. Um, not necessarily. Like I you know, it's not for me to say like you should have trimmed this or that, but it's exactly, more of yeah. was I was I like intrigued by what was going on? I'd say yes, just because I I would say so after the fact, as opposed to like during the initial hour. It's like I'm not against a movie that's taking its time to get to its thing, but I like that the movie it basically informs me why it needed to take this amount of time to get to where it was going. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an interesting way to help me discover something about a film, which I appreciated because mm-hmm. uh, it's, you know, it, you know, a, a, a f- filmmaker, did, like, you know, a per- Todd Field didn't like walk, you know, out of the editing bay and be like, huh, did I need all that? Like they know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're no. not, they're not make, you know, you're not making a movie that's this long because you, you maybe think it's the right thing to do. It's because like, no, I had a specific vision and this is what I wanted to get out of it. So yeah. it's like, in that regard, like, yes, I feel like I, you know, what, looking at the film as a whole, I see why it needed to make its choices as far as its, you know, deliberate pacing and what have sure. you. And I, and I walk, as I said, I've only grown to appreciate it more since thinking about it. Since yeah, then. exactly. I feel the same way. It's like, it has grown in its uh, mind space. Mm-hmm. since I finished watching this movie, like almost immediately after, like when I was driving home, I was thinking about this movie. Um, a few fun questions for you. Sure. Um, is this the only other movie that, that Kate Blanchett has been in that she's brushing her teeth or is that her thing? Uh, I don't know if it's exactly like a Tom Hanks peas and movies thing, but I mean, yeah. Probably... Or like a Brad Pitt eating in movies thing. Yeah. But mainly the Tom Hanks peas thing. Um, the... <laughs> <laughs> but, um... It's true. Look it up. <laughs> There's like seven of them. Yeah. Um, I I I would wager to guess that yeah, maybe that's your thing. <laughs> I, I uh, hope so because I found it like super cool. It's like, oh, this and Hannah? She's like just brushing her teeth with an electric toothbrush. It was great. It's probably uh, a blue Valentine thing where she's brushing her teeth or something. <laughs> if there is, make it a Kate Blanchett thing. I hope that she just runs with it. Yeah, get that YouTube supercut going. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then the other question that was kind of more whimsical too is like, what did you think of this beginning of this movie? Like just literally sitting down, house lights go down and it, it plays. What did you think? Oh, I'm all about funky stuff with credits and things like that. Yeah. that like uh, Vox Lux does the same thing too, where like it has the, the okay, yeah. that's the Natalie V-O-X, Portman. L-U-X? Yeah. yeah, that's the Natalie Portman, which is also about music and music's the musician, mm-hmm. um, where it just plays the credits basically backwards. Yeah. <laughs> like just right away. Uh, uh, what's his name? He did enter the void, but he did. Oh, uh, uh, I have to look, look this up. The French director, yeah. Uh, but his recent movie, I had like two movies this year. His his the previous one, the dance one, does that as well, where the credits play backwards. Okay. Uh, Gaspar Noé. Gaspar Noé. Yeah. 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 Um, 
why is the film eluding me um climax that's what it is climax yeah it, oh it that was the like the, the second like a dance hall thing right they're like yeah they're like at a dance hall and it's and like it's, a horror movie or something like that well they someone uh puts lsd into <laughs> oh, the drinks <laughs> and so like the whole thing goes crazy for everybody yeah. Um, but it starts like it starts almost backwards where the credits are like right up top. OK, um, but I think he does, he does that irreversible does that, too, because that movie that literally Bellucci plays movie. backwards. So, yeah, yeah Bellucci and um, Cassell um, has been wife to a... uh, work. Yeah. Oh, where? Oh, I don't know. I believe they're separated. That's know. all right. Well, you know, he's, yeah. he's the Night Fox. He's got like a huge man. Night Fox. Yeah. So he's got <laughs> it. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I dig with movies. OK do funky stuff like that That's did you did you interpret anything from it i ha- honestly I just haven't thought about it okay. that much i probably yeah. could if i spent some time on that but yeah like people smarter than me no I, I i thought about it too and i was i was just thinking to myself like i i, I dig when movies do quote-unquote weird things like that too um it's just that i i people smarter than me were saying like this is an incredible move just because as a conductor everybody else is is playing your music and holding you up and so it's a really clever way of, of looking at it of, hey, look at all these people that contributed to this movie from um, all the artists and the visual effects people and all the, the folks. But Todd Field's going to be like the, the front and center and Camp Legend's going to be the front and center. Not to say that, you know, they're egotistical, more just that there's a lot of people that support art and you don't really hear about them all the time, um, except for, sure. for like the person. So it was yeah. a pretty, pretty interesting read. Uh, and my last be, question be, oh, beyond, beyond formatting, I mean, that's how movies used to be. It used to be all the credits up front, then it just says the end at the end, you're done. Like, when they were called talkies, when they're <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the last question is, what do you think of the Oscar uh, uh, probability for this movie? I mean, all Blanche, categories, any category. I mean, Blanche, it's obviously going to be up for best yeah. actress, and we'll see about winning, uh, but there's plenty of time in that regard. Um, I assume like some technical stuff. I do think the sound design. Okay. It, I think it it can match it into that to that area. Um, the the score is interesting, and it's by Hilder. Yeah, I Guda saw that. Guttar, who did right. who won an Oscar for Joker. So it's like, well, Oscar does like to have repeats and whatnot uh-huh. as far as nominations. So I wouldn't be surprised if that got in there. Um, I I'd assume a picture and director are probably in the just because of the. The, the length of accolades that have, uh-huh. this movie's received so far. I wouldn't be surprised if that, you know, it makes it that far as well. Yeah. I'll just throw in that. I think that editing could be in play here too. Sure. Yeah. Edit, yeah. I think that there's like really, really good editing in this movie, you know, um, and then possibly original screenplay. Is this original or is this, is this it's an original screenplay? Yeah. Like it possibly could have original screenplay because of what you, you're not talking about with the Juilliard scene, but there's so many other scenes that there's just so much meat on the bone. Um, and so I, I think that it, it actually could be nominated for quite a number of things this year. Yeah, I this is a focus feature as and so is the Fablemans. So it's like it's not like it's beyond, now it's not beyond a studio to have multiple things going on or what have you. Yeah. I just know it's like that means they have to split their energy between that and whatever else they have, which they have a few things. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we'll we'll see how far that takes them. But I, I don't. Todd Field's been nominated for his previous for for in the bedroom and little children. I don't see him not like getting, you know the same kind of you know acco- you know praise in that regard Oscar as well love, yeah yeah and he hasn't he hasn't won yet either which doesn't necessarily it doesn't really hurt him. Yeah, exactly yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. hurt exactly so you we'll know see. who's still who wait waiting for her oscar amy adams 
Yes. So can't yes. wait for uh, can't wait for uh, that that uh, for what disenchanted disenchanted too. <laughs> <laughs> or, or yeah, disenchanted because it's not called enchanted too. It's just yeah. disenchanted. <laughs> All right. Uh, when should people see Tar? I think you should see it right away. I think this is a theater level movie. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, and again, when you watch it. Ask us questions. And I, I do think a theatrical viewing makes a lot of sense, just given both the sound design, which is tremendous, but also just the, the way it's structured. I think having your full attention is key to appreciate the movie. Yeah, 100%. All right. That's been our, our talk of tar. Oh, Aaron, uh, time for a quick game. How do you spell tar? Uh, T-A with a thing on it, R. Boom. <laughs> you win this week's games, baby. <laughs> I, well, I'm already. I'm glad I pulled off the T cycle this week. I saw Tar, Terrifier two, and Till, so I got all that going for okay, me. Okay, yeah, three T. Yeah, uh, well, let's do some out now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Go to the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, Facebook.com/slash/podcast. We have a number of questions. The listeners they give us some answers, so we have a few things here. First question is: What are some great films about musicians who strive for perfection? Chris has got to be Whiplash and Amadeus. Philip has La La Land. And Brendan Peters from the show writes Miami Connection. Yeah, baby. <laughs> That's a wonderful You guys are like in an 80s like, uh, rock band, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And they're friends for and eternity. Ninjas. Uh, what is Kate Blanchett's best performance? Uh, Chris has Catherine Hepburn and uh, Aviator and Elizabeth. Scott hmm. has I Agree with the Aviator and I'll throw in I'm Not There and The Gift. And mm-hmm. Philip writes her two roles as Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, she's not. Well, I mean, I'd also throw in her Academy Award-winning Blue Jasmine. Uh, I would say the same. I think, like, she's very consistently great in things. So I was just saying, like, like, she's so good. Like, she's good in this. Uh, she's great in this one too. But she's like so good in uh, basically all of her movies. I do think Blue, Blue Jasmine like really has some scenes that I can like remember as far as standing out. Yeah, she's like good. those manic scenes are yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Also, this is like another another. Uh, she's got manic scenes in this one too, which. Sometimes remind me of Blue Jasmine, but there is a voiceover from one Alec Baldwin. So mm-hmm. it's almost like they've, they've returned. <laughs> uh, anything else on the Cape Blanchett front? Um, trying to think of like other like key ones where like this just stands out. Um, but yeah, I mean, Blue Jasmine seems like the one for us at least. Blue Jasmine. I mean, you know, she's played an elf at one point or another. She's, she's made a lot of money. I'm surprised that, you know, she's such a cool actor that she's just like, Yes, I've made a billion dollars from Lord of the Rings, but you know, I'm going to keep acting because I love it. Uh, well, the next question here is, what are some great films about characters who become unraveled? Brandon Peters writes The Room, 2003. Scott writes Taxi Driver. Philip writes Take Shelter and Mishima, uh, a colon, A Life in Four Chapters. And Chris writes Black Swan and Antichrist and The Shining. What about you, Aaron? Anything, any movies that become where characters become unraveled? Uh, take shelter is a great answer. So I'm I'm, I'm with I'm with Philip on that one. Yeah, um, I'm gonna write uh, the mummy. <laughs> Shut up! So... <laughs> Stupid. What are you talking about? <laughs> the mummy. Is that not an interpretation of this question? <laughs> All right. Uh, last question we have here. What are some great films about people who create? Hmm. Scott writes Lust for Life, The Agony of Ec- and the Ecstasy, Pollock, Frida, Once, Andre Rublev. Late spring, Chris has my left foot, and Philip has whisper of the heart and the wind rises. Oh wow, that's a good call. Like I like that you brought animation into this. Mm-hmm. The never-ending story, Bastion. He's creating Fantasia in his mind. 
Uh, what about you? Anything that comes to mind? Um, like my mind goes to like movies about artists. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I, I mean, we like big Pollock, eyes, big eyes is one Pollock was named on there. Uh, there's Mr. Turner, uh, with Timothy Spall. Oh, I, Timothy I really, Spall. Yeah. Which I, I really like that movie quite a bit. Does he um, say like six lines in that movie or something? He grunts a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that's a lot what of grunting. it was. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, and it's, it's effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, that was enough feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. And that is going to bring us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, you can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. I also write movie reviews for We Have Entertainment and Blu-ray and Criterion reviews for Why So Blue. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more friends over my Instagram, abe.mua, and twitter.com slash Smooth. Hashtag, uh, you should change this to B flat. Uh, you can find all the other episodes about Now Third Name on iTunes, Audible, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, and HHWLOD. Feel free to email us at gmail.com. Right on a physical wall, Facebook.com slash podcast or tweet us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And of course, there's our Instagram page, instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast as well. I normally I, I thank the guests for joining us. <laughs> guests. I was like, what, what's that next thing I do? Uh, that is going to do for this week's show. Uh, st- uh, we do have more coming this week alone. You, we will have a Wendell and Wild bonus episode coming soon. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned for that. Next, the week after, we'll have the Banshees of Inishirin as a main review. Uh, so, yeah, plenty of fun stuff coming on the horizon here. Uh, so, that's going to do it for this week's show. So, until next time, so long and goodbye. <laughs>